Back here on the Pit Stop with James Wilson and me, Brett Wiseman, here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Joined now, pleased to be joined by driver of the number 21 Wood Brothers Ford, Matt DiBenedetto. How we doing? Doing excellent. How about yourself? Doing well. Always good to talk to somebody that drives a as prestigious a ride as you do. And uh, one of my best friends, uh, Landon Judy, I got to get this in before we get to any of the, the technical stuff. He is... A, a, a Wood Brothers super fan, so to speak, and uh, uh, he's got a, a few questions for you. Wants to know mainly what it's like to race for a team like that and what the best part about it is. So my answer to that's probably a little, maybe not exactly what people would expect um, because, you know, everybody knows, I mean, I grew up as a NASCAR fan just watching when I was a kid. Nobody in my family was involved in, in racing or anything, so. I grew up watching it from five years old and obviously the history of the 21 car, everyone knows how incredible that is just from a fan perspective for myself. I would have never been able to envision, I mean, shoot, just seeing my name on the car every week. I promise you every time I walk up to the car, just because of the history and the 21 car and me as a fan and my family as best fans it is always insane. But my answer is the, the most amazing part, 100% is that when you drive for the Wood Brothers, you are part of their family for life, and they are the absolute greatest, most genuine people you can ever meet in your entire life, and they are the type of people that make you want to be a better human being just in real life, whether that's, and that doesn't apply to just the racetrack, and that's the most special part about driving the Wood Brothers is how incredible of people what kind of care that they are, what kind of character that they have and how they affect uh, the people around them just as far as their, per the, how, who they are and who they want to be. Yeah, I could absolutely see that. And, you know, while, while I've never had the privilege of, of meeting any of the Wood Brothers or, or Leonard, you know, I've heard stories about, about Leonard and the Wood Brothers and just how, how genuine, uh, a, a group of people they are and, and the kind of class that they run their organization with. Um, you talked about growing up as a fan of the sport. Who, who was your, you know, who did you admire growing up and, and who kind of influenced your driving style the most, would you say? So a couple, uh, I grew up as a big Jeff Burton fan. He was my guy I, when I was five years old and I first started watching NASCAR. I loved his 99 Exide Batteries car. I thought it was a cool looking car. So then I was like, I'm going to follow him. Yep. That was my favorite. And uh, so I always um, followed him and then I got to, you know, really get to know who Jeff was. And that was my guy every week. So I, I really pulled for him, loved his driving style. I looked up to him a lot. Um, and Mark Martin was a guy I really looked up to. I, I loved his style. It's kind of, I, I think I model myself a little bit after him is, uh, he was that guy that was patiently aggressive and he was always calculated, not making stupid mistakes. He raced smart. He raced hard. He, he knew what he was doing, you know, and that, that's a, a guy I also kind of always, that was a role model to me. Mark Martin, better than anybody in an era before stage racing, was, was kind of had that calculated killer instinct, right? To where he would, and Dale Jarrett really did the same thing back in the day, too, where he would kind of wait back the first, you know, first three quarters of the race, and then all of a sudden, rocket booster shot out of the back of the Ford Taurus, and he'd be in second before you know it. <laughs> yep, that's, so uh, it, it was the word that was described 
to me or the words that, that I thought was best described of Mark Martin was patiently aggressive. And then people have kind of compared me to him, although I'm, I'm no Mark Martin. <laughs> I, you know, could, you can always strive to be uh, that, that level of incredible in what he's done for our sport. Um, but that is kind of why I uh, look up to guys like that as, as role models, because they were, you know, they were, he was smart and patiently aggressive was a great way to, uh, um, to describe him, you know? And so those are the type of guys that I look up to, to model myself after and how I drive and how I gain the respect of my competitors, you know, how I do the best job for my team. Uh, those are the guys that are the best. It's not the guys that are out there driving like weapons and running into stuff and hitting the wall all the time. You know, that's not, um, that's not my style. One more question from uh, my good friend Landon, who's a Wood Brothers super fan. He wants to know how Brian, your dog, is doing. <laughs> now that's a good question, right there. He is, he is great as always. We actually are building a house, um, and we just took him out here to our new house uh, to to cruise around. You know, make sure he can inspect it and everything's up to his standards because uh, <laughs> Brian is uh, he he is quite spoiled. <laughs> And this is actually Brian's house. We're pretty much building it for him. So he owns everything. <laughs> he went from uh, being found under an abandoned house, you know, and he's a rescue dog. And we were lucky enough to uh, adopt him as a puppy. So we went from being found under an abandoned home and being homeless to uh, now owning um, what's going to be a brand new home that we're moving into. So uh, Brian is pretty spoiled. <laughs> Awesome story. Awesome story. That, that, that's the kind of, it's kind of in-depth insight we get on this show. That's what we love to hear. Um, as far as this weekend goes, racing wise, head to the monster mile at Dover. What are the expectations this weekend? Um, you know, I think, uh, this one, Dover's a tough one for us. Every, every team has their strengths and their weaknesses. And it, it, it's funny. I say this a lot when I drove for the 95 team, our tracks that were our strengths at that team, our, our, those are our weaknesses at the 21 team and then vice versa, the tracks that were our struggle when I drove the 95 and we were lacking speed at or grip or whatever, um, those tracks are our strength at the 21. So it's all flip-flopped and it's kind of funny how that works. Um, but Dover was one where we had the double header last year and we just really struggled and couldn't get that feel that I need in the car. Cause you know, the year prior in the 95, we ran top 10 and we're probably one of the top five, definitely a top five car finished seventh or so. We had a little mishap on pit road, but um, really had a fast car. And then fast forward to last year and we, it was a track that we really struggled at. Couldn't get that same feel that I needed. And we're just kind of lacking a bit in both days uh, with, with different setups, both days. So that was a little concerning. So I think going into Dover, I have two outlooks. One is uh, I'm a little nervous and would hope to come out of it with a solid finish and a solid day. And the other outlook would be I'm excited because I like opportunities to redeem ourselves and uh, to to try and improve as as a program to go to those places that might have been a little bit of a weakness and try and get better. And, you know, I, I don't know if that's as much a difference between, you know, Toyota, Ford or you know, the, the setup at, at those two teams or the engine setup or whatnot. But I, I certainly see that because you look at a track like Bristol too, it's one that was not necessarily is, is a weakness for you in the 21, but certainly was, was a strength for you in the 95 that, and you, you talk about redemption. You, you've, you've come close so many times and myself and James and so many of us that, that watch this sport and love this sport, 
just we we as objectively as I could sound, we want you to win a race. I mean, that's as simply as I could put it because you've come close so many times that it it's it's frustrating for us because we want to see it that bad. So, you know, do do you feel like team wise that you you're you're right on the cusp? Yeah, I do. Uh, I really do. It's it's uh, it it can be a mix of frustrating and encouraging at the same time. So um, I, I think obviously we are right there and so close. And I know on the positive side that if we keep putting ourselves in position and coming so close, I compare it to Chase Elliott's situation where I remember watching Chase, you know, early in his Cup career where he was so close so many times, and I'm like, man, how's this guy keep finishing second? He's coming up so close, having so many heartbreaks, and then. Once that he got that win, and it just seemed like they started clicking, um, and obviously now he's a Cup Series champion. So, um, so no, I feel like I compare it a little bit to that of uh, when you keep putting yourself in position. That's why I say uh, my quote is, "Our time will come." They're absolutely right, and and I, I think it will. I don't know when, I don't know where, and you know. As you can probably tell by my virtual avatar here, I'm a fan of the 24 car. So seeing Chase Elliott come so close in that ride was not fun. But uh, Byron brought it back to victory lane last year, so that was fun to see. But uh, as you said, you, your time will come. And I, I agree with that to an extent because you do do a great job of, of putting yourself in a, in a position to win. And that's all you can do, right? Yep, that's you know that's all we can do is, is my job is to make our our team the best it can possibly be, be a good influence, a good positive influence on all our guys, and and improve you know improve every team that I go to. So um, we keep putting ourselves in uh, in position. That's all uh, that's all we can do, and we just need to work on uh, you know doing everything we can to be the most prepared possible to go and uh, close one of these things out and, and click off good finishes, make the playoffs and have the most success possible. You know, I put my whole life, me and my spotter, Doug, our whole team, we put our lives into this stuff to be the best and most prepared we can be. And, and there, there's not a, not a team and not a driver other than you that, that comes to the racetrack more prepared. Um, I, I would say, there may be a few, but there, there, there's there's not many that, that match that level of passion, that level of preparation that, that you guys bring to the racetrack every weekend. I want to ask you about this real quick. Uh, so we finish out the month here. Of course, we got the 600 Memorial Day weekend. But uh, in between here, we go to the Circuit of the Americas. How are you preparing for that, you know, on iRacing or, or simulator or whatever? Um, there's going to be practice there, of course, because we've never gone there before. But... What are you expecting going there, and how are you preparing? Um, you know, the the road courses are – so the areas we need the most improvement at are um, some of the low-grip places like Darlington and Dover, a couple of those, and the road courses. So that's where we are lacking the most. So um, we've been working really hard on trying to get that a little bit better to tie that you know last bit of our program in to be a little stronger and and luckily you know on the preparation side uh the biggest help is you know that ford simulator it has has been a it has been a blessing and all the tools and resources that ford gives us is is um absolutely a, a huge help so making tons and tons of laps around coda and learning that place so then you know we know it like the back of our hand before we go there so we have a good head start so 
looking forward to going there. Obviously, the facility is incredible. It is so beautiful. So that's going to be uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. I've wanted Cup to go there for the longest time, and now that it is, you know, it's it's going to be insanely fun because that is a that's kind of a it's almost like a racing theme park, so to speak, and it's the only one where there's a Formula One race in the United States. But it's going to be fun to see stock cars rolling around there. I watched some of the videos from the testing there, and um, just it's going to be really really fun. The other thing I wanted to get your thoughts on: first of all, I hope you're at least wearing pants when you're racing on the Ford Simulator. Yeah, so luckily, you know, they require it. So I guess I follow the rules a little more there. I don't think they required it in the Pro Invitational Series, but Ford might have different standards. Yeah, they like us to be a little more professional. <laughs> That's the other thing I wanted to ask you about was what's the difference between, you know, you've been in this ride for, I guess you'd say a year and a half, almost two years now. What's the difference between the Ford and the Toyota you drove in the 95, technically speaking? Um, you know, I think, uh, I think that stuff is, is fairly similar. Um, the, you know, the Ford, Ford gives us incredible, all the manufacturers give the teams incredible support, which is, which is huge. And it's so competitive between all the, uh, all the manufacturers. So, um, it's, it is interesting though, how, how each team, uh, or manufacturer seems to have kind of their strengths. I think the Fords, you know, when you think of the Fords, you really think about, uh, there's a lot of things and, and strengths, obviously, but you think about the Roush Yates engines, the horsepower, you know, that's a, um, you know, that's a big priority and Doug Yates and them have so much passion in that, what they do. Uh, and you also think about the, uh, super speedways, how incredibly dominant the Fords are on the super speedways, you know, they're the, the drivers and the, uh, and the manufacturer, uh, support. So it's, um, so no, it's, it's, it, it's awesome being able to drive for them. There, there's no manufacturer that's better right now at restrictor plate tracks than, than Ford, and that's been proven time and time again. One more technical aspect to ask you about before we let you go. Now you're a busy guy. Uh, Next-gen car got revealed last week. You are able to drive it in uh, in the iRace virtually at Darlington. Um, what do you think about it early on? Um, I know you were probably someone involved in the testing process. What do you think about it early on, and what are you expecting going into next year with it? Yeah, I'm, uh, you know, I was really impressed with how it, how it looks. That's awesome. The bodies, I love the fact that it represents, um, the, uh, the current, you know, production car. They had the GT 500 sitting right next to the, to the next gen race car. And I was like, holy cow. And I'm a big fan, like Ford fan. Everyone knows I'm a huge car guy. Yeah, both Harvard. the Mustang and the Camaro looked pretty identical to their, you know, street counterparts. And that was the idea. And they nailed it on the head. Yeah, so I'm a huge car enthusiast. I have lots of car, like street cars. That's a big passion of mine. So um, I love the GT500, and uh, so having them sitting side by side, honestly, just for me as a car guy, was was extremely satisfying because I'm a car enthusiast. So that part of it was really cool. I think they'll, uh, yeah, I'm curious to see how they race to get them out there and you know a group and and see how they run on the racetrack. I'm I'm actually pretty excited to run them on road courses because we're gonna have. Uh, you know, bigger brakes because you have the 18 inch wheels. So you have more stopping power. Uh, you have a sequential transmission. I think that's just going to be super fun to road race. And when you keep adding them to the schedule, that's, that's something that has to factor into things. And that's something that, you know, that research and development people at, at all three manufacturers and at NASCAR really, really put their heads together on to, to put a good setup with 
Maddie D, thanks so much for coming on. Good luck at the Monster Mile this weekend. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds great. Thank you. More after this here on the Pit Stop. Welcome back to the Pit Stop here on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. And not only do we have to talk about the upcoming race at Dover, up in Dover, Delaware, the Dry Dean 400, but let's go ahead and just talk about the next generation car, Alex. That's why I brought you on. You are a mechanical engineer. You know what you're talking about. This stuff is your bread and butter. Tell us why these new differences in this next gen car is going to breed a new style of racing. Well, to preface the uh, what I want to say, I do also want to say that for a time I was going to be an aerospace engineer, so I did do a little bit of stuff with the uh, the aero side of things. So I figure that's that's where I'll start. Um, the biggest change you're going to notice from an aerodynamic perspective this year, well, everybody would like to say, oh, the cars are going to be symmetrical, which is going to be huge at super speedways. Having a symmetrical car means you can no longer use the car effectively as an airfoil. Um, if you look at them currently, the right side of a NASCAR is, is effectively as flat as a board. Mm-hmm. And the left side has got all kinds of contours and curves to it that are designed to put lower pressure air on the left side of the car, making it easier to pull around a big, fast super speedway or even an intermediate track. But I'd say what probably the biggest, most dramatic change is going uh, – for this aero package is actually going to be the inclusion of a rear diffuser, which means you're not going to be relying on a spoiler or like a big wing, like on the car of tomorrow way back when to create your downforce. Most of the downforce is going to be created by uh, creating low pressure air in the space beneath the car. The fr- uh, they're mounting a splitter on the front and a diffuser on the rear. And for those who don't know what a diffuser is, it's effectively a raked upward section of bodywork on the bottom of the car that has uh, protrusions, or that's, they're called strakes, and they're like fins mm-hmm. that point straight downwards, and they're designed to keep the airflow that's coming out from underneath the car moving in a linear fashion and accelerate it to an extent. It's, it, gonna- would you say it's similar to ground effect that we are very familiar with in open wheel racing? Uh, yes, a diffuser is part of it. The diffusers are included on almost every open wheel racing or most every racing car. They're going to have a diffuser and it, the acceleration and I guess the maintaining a linear airflow that the diffuser provides is what helps create that ground effect downforce. Now, we right, haven't seen ground effect to like the extent of the Venturi tunnels in mm-hmm. the late 80s F1, but it is it would contribute to what could be considered ground effect downforce. I don't know of a car that doesn't have a diffuser of some sort outside of most rally cars. Obviously, they don't have one because aero is almost a non-factor in rally. Um, But most cars have something that controls the air both into and out of the car. And I think that's something NASCAR never really had, right? Um, I'm looking at my die cast right now. There's all these lips and cuts. And as you said, that right side of the car is really flat. And that left side of the car has all this extra curves and contours, but the bottom of the car has never really been a part that NASCAR has looked into and said, Hey, we can get more out of this. This is a section of the car that we've never really touched. This is still, when you look at the car from an upside down perspective, it's still the exact same car that they're racing in the fifties, right? It's a big V8 up front. It drives the rear wheels. Everything else in the middle is exactly what you'd expect. 
I mean, there, 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 there's not a lot of technology down here. And I think this is one of the best places to try and make this next-gen car, one, more stock, and that's what all the fans are saying they want, but two, more high-tech. I think I think yeah. This is the uh, from an aerodynamics perspective. It's it's great to see them moving. I guess in a direction that would be more in line with what you'd see in I guess the closest parallel for what I guess would be considered stock car racing in other countries would be like a touring car championship, like the British Touring Car Championship or Japanese Super Touring, where right. they do use splitters diffusers and big wings and i don't think nascar should ever go in the direction of mounting big wings again like they did with the the car of tomorrow just because it's kind of it doesn't doesn't quite line up with the the i guess the image of the sport and it it makes the cars significantly less stock but it's good to see nascar which prides itself as being a stock car racing league finally moving towards technologies that you're finding on a lot of stock cars, and I guess the the big example of that, the most apparent thing that you're going to see with these next-gen cars are going to be the wheels. They're moving away from their 15-inch steel wheels to 18-inch aluminum wheels, which is a, a pretty pretty big move. It's going to change how, I guess, it's going to change a lot of strategies because the tire wear is going to be different. You're running on a physically thinner tire. Now, the width of the wheel is the same. They're both a nine and a half uh, inch wide wheel. Uh, I guess the barrel depth would be the, the better way to put that. Mm-hmm. Um, the tire diameter is going to be largely the same overall. But the one thing you're going to see, ironically enough, they're moving to a bigger wheel, but they're also dropping weight. The tires are going to weigh less because there's physically less rubber there. And um, the current NASCAR wheel weighs about, the steel wheel weighs about 27 pounds. Right, yeah. Which I, mean, that, I have one sitting in my office here, and I mean, you and I, we were messing with it the other day. It's heavy. Yeah, it's a, it's it extremely it, heavy. Altogether, a NASCAR wheel and tire combo weighs about 51 pounds. Yeah. They're pretty hefty. Now, what I was doing some research before the show just to, just to check up on it, and the closest thing I could find to the, I guess, the style of this new NASCAR wheel that they're putting out was the uh, the Enkai Raijin tire. Enkai Raijin wheel, correct me. Uh, weighs 21 pounds. It's a six-pound deficit. And the wheel is, thir- is three inches bigger in diameter. So you're, you're shaving six pounds off simply because you're moving to an aluminum wheel. Um, yeah, and they look gorgeous, as, uh, by the way. I mean, those cars look... I mean, that looks like something that would fit on a muscle car on, I mean, as you would know, uh, on a German car, uh, that car looks great with those wheels. And I really hope that that's actually what we're going to get on track. Uh, yeah, I, I think, I think that they'll, it, it's going to be harder to see them when they're moving at speed. Um, but the, there will be a pronounced, it will dramatically change the look of the car. Um, and the other thing you're going to see is you might see a little bit increase in pit stop time or decrease in pit stop times, rather an increase in speed just because of the use of a center lock wheel. It's going to take more time to torque that center lock wheel down, but you only have one lug nut per tire. You don't have to sit there and hit all five. And, and, and luckily that lug nut, that m- middle wheel nut was actually developed by uh, Richard Childress racing, RCR manufacturing solutions. So this is, not that far from home. A lot of people need to realize, yes, there are a lot of changes, but a lot of this stuff was developed by race teams or things that are close to American racing. 
Roush Yates helped develop some of the stuff, the transaxle mounts, most importantly, uh, the wheel hub, the shift. They developed a whole bunch of stuff that goes across a lot of the car. So that's a NASCAR team, Roush Yates, right? Uh, McLaren actually helped develop some stuff in the digital dash and the ECU. Um, Delara came in. They helped develop some of the radiator ducts. So we have a lot of vendors coming in and adding their two cents to this car, but that's probably the most exciting factor is that so many of these companies came together to develop the best stock car imaginable. Yeah, I'd, I'd say as far as vendors go, my, my favorite to see on that list is X-Track. And for those of you who aren't familiar with X-Track, they make almost every racing transmission or gearbox or transaxle, um, any kind of thing, any kind of component that converts the enter the rotation from the engine to the rotation of the wheels. X track has their name on it. Formula one, uh, Le Mans racing. Um, I believe a lot of the stuff in the British touring car championship, uh, X track does it all. Right. And, and, um, so, so I think it's cool to see them here in NASCAR. So X track developing a five speed sequential gearbox is Almost, I mean, that's almost child's play. They're going to do that before they've had their morning coffee when they also develop eight-speed gearboxes for F1 cars that can rev up to 20,000 RPM. So, I mean, this is almost child's play for them. So this should be a very good gearbox. Oh, I, I have no doubt that it will be because you look at a lot of their other stuff and it can the you can shift those gears almost as fast as you can think, if not faster. Mm -hmm. Um it's it the the only limit to how quick you're going to be able to get through those gears is how quick you can move the lever, um, and it should be very, very linear, very smooth action in that shifting. But the big thing I guess about this gearbox would be it's a departure from NASCAR's conventional uh, up front. They've got typically a four speed just bolted to the back of the engine like you would see in a conventional car will not necessarily a four speed but you'd have a transmission just bolted up to the back of the engine in any front engine rear wheel drive car they're now utilizing a transaxle mounted at the back which essentially what a transaxle is is, is it is a gearbox and a differential all rolled into one big assembly mm -hmm. that's not necessarily the important part the important part is it is now mounted at the rear of the vehicle which means it's going to have a far more even weight distribution. You're going to have more weight over those rear tires. And coming out of that transaxle are going to be two CV axles. So you have, it in, for the first time ever in NASCAR, you have independent rear suspension, which is going to be huge when it comes to short track and road track, road course racing, because you no longer have to worry about one wheel lifting when the other drops or vice versa. The potential for all new setups is nearly endless relative to what they're racing currently. It's, it's going to be huge. I think it's probably the most influential change on any track that isn't a super speedway. Obviously the arrow I think is going to make the majority of the difference on the super speedway, but the independent rear suspension, which has for the most part been a standard on most rear wheel drive performance vehicles. Um, since in certain cases, I know you, you can see them on performance cars coming out of Europe and Japan since the uh, the late 80s, early 90s. Um, they, they, they've been a facet of motorsports ever since, and it's going to make NASCARs probably a, a second or two quicker around most road courses because you're going to be able to corner more aggressively. You're going to have that back-end 
stay a lot more planted. You can get that power put down more efficiently mm -hmm. just because you're going to have that grip. So what you might be losing in aerodynamic grip, you can make up for with enhanced mechanical grip in the form of using that independent rear suspension and setting it up in a more inventive way. Absolutely. All things automotive genius, Alex, where thank you so much for coming on, but we still have to talk a little bit about Dover this Sunday. Martin Truex Jr. is starting on the pole um, with the current uh, qualifying format. Basically, for those who need to be refreshed, they pull together a bunch of data, but most of the data is going to be from last week's finish. So for the past couple weeks, um, actually, I'm hard-pressed to remember an example of this not happening this year, is it's uh, the guy on pole is going to be the guy who won the week before. So Mark Shooks Jr. is going to have Paul, Denny Hamlin, William Byron, Kyle Larson. There's a lot of other factors in here. Uh, Kevin Harvick finished sixth, but he's starting fifth. So there's a couple other things that are going to shift it up a little bit. Um, and we know Dover, it's one of the more interesting short tracks on the schedule. I'd say Dover is one of the most unique tracks that have ever existed. Uh, it's right up there with Bristol. I've never had the luxury of going up and seeing a race at the Monster Mile, but eventually I will. And it's a roller coaster type track. It's a track that, although it is a high speed short track like Bristol, um, I'd say getting around Bristol is not that hard. The, the, the thing with Dover is those straights are banked barely. They have, I'd say, probably 15 degrees of banking. I don't have it on the top of my head. I'm, that's just a wild guess. But when you go into those turns, the dramatic shift to far more banking has been described as a roller coaster before by many drivers. Um, the guy I think is going to win just recently called it a roller coaster uh, at the very last race because he won the very last race. That guy's Kevin Harvick. Uh, I think this guy is one of the most talented guys to ever touched over. Uh, his car is half decent. As much as we were just talking crap about him two segments ago, I do think he's going to figure out how to win it over. He's starting in a decent position. And uh, I think it's going to be probably a, a boring race. I'm not going to lie. I've said for the past couple weeks, this race is going to be great. This race is going to be whatever. I think the restarts are going to be the only thing worth watching here. And that's not due to the fact that Dover's a bad track. And it's not due to the fact that NASCAR is bringing the wrong setup. It's simply because I don't anticipate too many people fighting for position at Dover. And the reason is because there's only one race. This is the very last race at Dover with the Gen 6 race car. And for that reason, I don't see a lot of people seeing this as one of those races that you absolutely have to win. I don't see this as a must win. This isn't a grand jewel event. So this is going to be a good race for the hardcore NASCAR fans, but for the casuals, they might not be entertained. Um, and I encourage the casuals to watch and find something to love about this anyway. But to that, I say good luck. Alex, who do you think is going to win at Dover? I would say, yeah, Kevin Harvick is probably one of the more, I guess the guy's got a penchant for proving himself at this track. So I'd, I'd, I'd say it's probably a safe bet to uh, put the ball in the same court as you have. Um, if not, I'd say we've seen very consistent performances from, from Denny Hamlin, but it's going to uh, be a matter of whether or not he can maintain his position starting up front. I know he kind of moved around a little bit at Darlington last week. Um, but I think, I think Kevin Harvick would probably be a safe bet. Yeah. Kevin Harvick is my guy this week. Um, I'm O for 
a lot. I'm batting zero right now and predicting the correct driver wins. Brett currently has three on the season. Let's see if you can get up there. Um, I'll count this for half a point if I do get it right, but I also like Kyle Larson at this track. Otherwise, that's going to do it for us here on the Pit Stop on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. We'll see you guys next week.